Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Wednesday edition is here. That means primary complaint is coming up this hour. We've got Bobby Carpenter to preview the national championship on Monday night. Recap college football playoff. That's in 20 minutes as we preview TCU and Georgia. Looking forward to that. Plus, uh, Clay Travis later in today's show. And Dr. Jay Montgomery. Chad, you discussed him uh, yesterday, and the efforts paid off. We have him on the show today in an hour to discuss uh, everything with uh, DeMar Hamlin, what he observed, and with all of the updates coming out on the Bills' safety, who remains in critical condition. He's got a very impressive title. We'll get into that title uh, in a little bit. But he is one of the leading researchers in Comotio Cordis, which we discussed yesterday as a possibility of what happened with DeMar Hamlin. He's got four or five other possibilities as well that he's going to go through. He, he, he tells me offline it's the most likely scenario, but he wanted to go through a few other things he saw uh, with the injury. So, again, instead of speculating and playing doctor on this show, we're going to actually bring uh, an electrocardiologist on the show. Uh, the latest on uh, DeMar Hamlin, the, the Buffalo Bills in this statement – uh, earlier, about an hour and a half ago now, say that DeMar remains in the ICU in critical condition with signs of improvement noted yesterday and overnight. He's expected to remain under intensive care as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. Um, his marketing team and the spokesman for the family, uh, Jordan Rooney is his name, um, he came out and said that it was a very um, a good evening based on the results of whatever the doctors were looking for. That's all that he could put out at the time. Uh, the, the hospital has a media relations team, just like the, the Bills or the Bengals would have or any, uh, any team would have in trying to get information. So the media is waiting on those statements from the hospital itself there in Cincinnati. Uh, but Rooney at least said that signs were positive based on what the doctors wanted to see happen and progress with over the course of the last 12 hours or so. So that's great news. Yeah, really good news. Coley Harvey of ESPN has been a good source of this, also talking to, to um, the publicist and members of the family. And he also reiterated, I thought this was interesting, um, coming through ESPN, but he said, he tweeted, we're going to have much more on ESPN throughout the morning and day. We recorded an interview, but two other comments to look for from him. DeMar's father is among those calling for any criticism of Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins to stop. That's a direct shot at Bart Scott yeah. on ESPN criticizing T. Higgins. So I found that interesting from a fellow ESPN employee to point that out that DeMar Hamlin's dad is saying, cool it on the criticism of T. Higgins having any blame in this horrible story. Yeah, I mean, Chad, it all, it, he, he lowers his helmet, but he does not use the helmet in regards to this hit. And also... Um, we discussed this yesterday, how many, how routine of a hit this was for the sport that they're playing. You it know, was that's a what's complete so, freak accident. That is what is so shocking about it. 
uh, when you see it happen, aside from the fact you see a player collapse on the field, it's that it didn't happen through a helmet-to-helmet hit and everything that the league is trying to get away from, or if they can't get away from it, trying to suppress in some way as best they can. And in this case, it was a shoulder into the chest. I mean, that. think about how often you would see that just in basketball, right? And oh, now yeah. you put it where you put pads on. You, I mean, how often players are doing that. And that was one of the things, like Mike McDaniel talked about this uh, with the Dolphins earlier this week. He, he was saying, hey, you know, it's interesting how we approach practice now because he just got the players back off of their normal weekday off. He had not talked to them. And that's the first thing he had to do was, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling a certain way. I don't know how you're feeling, but this is, this is awful. It's unprecedented. Um, we're going to approach it as best we can, but just know however you're feeling isn't the wrong way. And we're going to go through practice and try to get through the week to where you feel comfortable, like I do, going out there and playing. Now, that's Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins. And I'm paraphrasing that, saying that. Now imagine being the Bills or Bengals as they prepare for Week 18. It's crazy when you think about just the emotions of those teams that were there. And I keep going back and seeing video of the moment and all the players rallying around and the looks on their faces with uh, overwhelming amounts of emotion, which is understandable. And I go back and look at that hit. It was so routine. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned basketball. I'm watching college basketball last night, and I see four or five instances where a defender is trying to go through a pick and yeah. makes more contact with the chest of someone just driving through a pick. It was. My point is, it's just a freak accident. I think about Kevin Ware in basketball where he just jumps up and lands down and his weight is on one leg, very routine for a basketball player, and his leg snaps because he had some stress fracture issues. And it leads to that horrific scene where Rick Pitino had to run the opposite direction when he saw his leg snapped in half on the side of the court in a Final Four. I mean, these things happen in sport. I I, want to guard against this. Boy, this is another example of you know guys putting their life on the line in a very violent sport. Right. This was not a violent play. This was a routine moment in a physical game in a collision sport. I, we're going to talk about college football playoff here soon. You want to talk about a vicious hit? What happened to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the back of the end zone? That's a vicious hit. That's one. Thank God nothing awful happened, but you watch it and think, man, I hope he's okay, and he wasn't right. after the hit. Uh, this, is, this is more tragedy of what can happen in everyday life and just everyday profession. And if your profession happens to be a professional football player, it's going to involve hitting other big, strong men. And this was a very routine hit that looked completely normal over the course of a game, over any weekend's games, and then this happened, and it's, it makes it all the more sad, I think, well, and because and, of that. Chad, we can reach out to him to get him on the show, but Brad Gaines comes to mind. Yeah. You know, uh, he is in the T. Higgins camp here where he is the Vanderbilt player who hit Chucky Mullins that ended up paralyzing him um, was it from the neck down. Well, Chucky Mullins hit him, I think, on the play. I think he paralyzed oh, yeah, yeah, himself right. on the tackle. Yeah, on so the tackle. It's almost it's similar. This it's even what, more similar 80s. because T. Higgins, yeah. you know, he was making the contact, yeah. but he was the ball carrier, and uh, that hit paralyzed Chucky Mullins. And, and that was, that right, was that's a very – guy. That's a guy here in Nashville where we do the show. Yeah. That would be great to have on talk about. that's a very routine hit as well. Yeah. On the, on the tackle attempt from Mullins uh, and their connection there. If you haven't seen the, the SEC Network uh, feature on that, uh, it's unbelievable. 
Um, hit us up on social at Outkick360. Looking at some of the other headlines just involved with Bengals, Bills, and the, uh, of course, with Hamlin. So Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott. Uh, Zach Taylor detailed the conversation that took place on the field between the two head coaches. And uh, he, he spoke with the media today for the first time since the incident. Um, Zach Taylor with the Bengals and said, it was determined just to take a few moments just as teams to process what had happened because no one had that chance. I look at Sean and the players, all they were doing was looking at their teammate, their brother. They're hoping for the best. That's the only thing going through their minds. We separated as teams. The officials did a great job coming over to me and saying, hey, they're still trying to process this moment. So instead of playing telephone on separate sidelines, a decision was made to just go over there and make sure that we were all talking together. I won't disclose any of the private conversation Sean and I had except for this. When I got over there, the first thing he said to me was, I need to be at the hospital with DeMar and I shouldn't be coaching this game. That from Zach Taylor with the Bengals. Yeah, I'm, I'm just more and more info that comes out more and more. And I've always liked those guys, both Zach Taylor and Sean yes. McDermott. Um, really respect them. We had Zach Taylor on a few, uh, I think after his first year maybe as coach or right before his first year. It, it was his... I think it was leading into his first season maybe after he's named the head coach. But at the Combine in Indy, which is always a great opportunity to have NFL head coaches and yep. big-time NFL personnel on, we had Sean McVay on as our little right. Nashville radio show. Yep. Got Sean McVay <laughs> and got uh, Zach Taylor on the same day. And I remember Ron sitting Rivera. there with, with Zach Taylor, who I believe is still, I think he's like a year younger than me, even right now or right around the same age, thinking, man, this guy is an NFL head coach. That's, that's pretty cool going into his first year. But those guys are, are impressive. And the way they handled that, and so much of leadership is how you look in moments of crisis. And I thought that they just wore the perfect expression on their face of concern, of some emotion, but no panic. And just could clearly communicate what the intentions were of the players and whether or not they could move forward and play. I, I thought it was a, a brilliant snapshot in what good leadership looks like between Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott. Very impressed. Well, and also by doing that, it allowed for both teams to get together the way they did. You know, Burrow is there with Allen, for instance, because... Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott spoke on the field for that first time. And then they ended up going into the, the locker room instead of having the five-minute warm-up that lasted five seconds before they went in. It's The, the whole five-minute warm-up thing is just – everybody, I think, just wants it to be swept under the rug that because the NFL is staying firmly entrenched that they'd never told them that. And then ESPN is firmly entrenched that – yeah, Joe Buck's not going to go on and say it's a five-minute warm-up without well, being told but that is what by they, someone. In, in any typical injury that's going to take a certain amount of time to get the player off, not this, I'm not saying in this instance, this yeah. is something they hadn't dealt with, but the protocol is a five-minute warm-up after a certain amount of time where the players haven't done anything. So, you know, that, that's the only thing I can come up with is that it was relayed based on that protocol. Uh, but that would be like a, a lightning delay or whatever. Yeah. You know? And it could have been, we could be talking semantics. The, uh, Perry, the rules analyst, could have been in contact with, and you had the woman's name, the NFL rep there in the, the press yeah. box, yeah. who said, hey, here's the normal protocol, but not said, this is a exactly what we're going to do now. In this instance, and it could have been relayed in that Don't way know. that this is what's probably going to happen. But and if they it was that it, simple, like, just say it and get it done with, right? Get it over with. 
uh, instead of the but back and it's forth. It's also, I thought, they were very good about we're not going to speculate and to the point of not saying anything. Yes. But when they were showing the players in the locker room or on the sideline, I do remember Joe Buck saying, these players are going to have a big hand in what, what happens here. Even if Roger Goodell or the NFL says we're going to play in 30 minutes or an hour or whenever, the players could just say no. We're in no shape to play right now. The game's not going to go on. And then they're going to have to postpone or cancel the game if that happens. I do remember him saying something along those lines that the players will have some autonomy in this decision about whether or not they can carry on in this game. And in the end, I think we would all agree the right decision was made to postpone this game indefinitely and not play it. And we still haven't heard word on officially what's going to happen with this game moving forward. As of now... It remains exactly as it was yesterday with what the NFL uh, put out. They're moving forward with Week 18, and then what? Will they play the game? Will they call it a no contest? How does that factor into the the top seeds in the AFC? Maybe we get some word on that later today. But uh, practices across the uh, across the league right now are preparing for Week 18 matchups, and Bengals and Bills have moved on to the Ravens and Patriots in their respective matchups there this coming Sunday. Uh, Chad, college football playoff was epic. You and I have not had a chance to just blindly react to this. I haven't even talked to you about the matchups, but just game for game and the, the doubleheader that we had, and we'll, we'll touch on this uh, briefly in a moment, I mean, with uh, Bobby Carpenter. These games, I will never forget these two games. The moments, not not the, the full four quarter, the moments and the... The, the, the ability for TCU with Michigan down, they rally back, grab momentum, and then the ability for, for TCU to then answer every single time was epic. And then you have the Georgia comeback where they're not playing their best, but they still win at Ohio State's best game plan when Ohio State got off to that quick start and... You know, defensively, Georgia wasn't great, but they got a couple of stops late that and allowed Stetson Bennett and company to take over. Fantastic. And now we get, uh, I think it's going to be a solid championship game on Monday. Well, I, I want to get into those two games. We'll get plenty of time to preview a championship game. We'll talk a little bit about that with Bobby Carpenter coming up. I, I echo what you say about those two games. That TCU-Michigan game, there were 44 combined points in the third quarter. In one eight-minute stretch, there were eight scores. Back and forth, just huge play after huge play, big momentum swing after big momentum swing. It was TCU able to run the ball and not Michigan in the game. But it's Michigan with 20 more total yards because their ability to pass the ball on TCU. So many unexpected factors in this game. Max Duggan was 14 for 29, not very good, but it was his legs that kept drives alive and made big plays. We've seen all year. Uh, Ohio State and, and Georgia, the levitation by Brock Bowers to pick up the fourth down upon review was incredible. And I will remember that still photo of him actually levitating off the ground is what it looks like. Keeping one toe down and keeping his knee up over the out-of-bounds line while extending the ball over the first down marker on fourth down that kept Georgia alive. 76-yard touchdown pass from Stetson Bennett to make it a four-point game. The Noah Ruggles missed 50-yard field goal that never had a chance. Marvin Harrison Jr. getting knocked out of the game on a hit on a, a targeting call that was picked up upon review. 
I want to briefly mention that because we're about to have Mr. Ohio State on, Bobby but Carpenter, who I got a, I got a feeling I know what his yeah. opinion's going to be on this. Hutton, it is awfully, awfully punitive to throw a flag for a guy getting hit, and it was a vicious hit. We can debate whether or not it was targeting. I thought the helmet only made contact with the helmet after he hit the shoulder. Yeah, I agree with you. As hard as he could, and the whiplash effect caused the helmet to hit. But regardless, they knocked out Ohio State's best player with a good amount of time left in the game, and that helped cost Ohio State the game to pick up that penalty. No, if you know if you know Marvin Harrison's out for the game, and you're an official, I think in good conscience you don't pick up the penalty. But you don't know that as an official in the moment. You're just looking at the video. But to have that flag picked up, uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on targeting or not. My strong opinion is that is a really bad break that a guy who's coming in to hit Marvin Harrison Jr. as hard as possible to dislodge the ball is successful in that, knocks him out of the game, and has the flag picked up. Very fortunate for Georgia. Also, you missed the biggest moment of the game. The Kirby Smart timeout. The Kirby Smart timeout on the fake punt where they oh, were going to pick up right. the first down. That's right. And I believe where they were up 11 at that time, I believe. And the timeout at the split second before the snap. Now, uh, the play was like five seconds in before we heard the whistles. But the timing of that and Kirby Smart postgame saying, we have been burned three other times on fake punts this year. And I just had a feeling... And he's like, it wasn't because we had a bad defense called. They just, they call a really good fake punt in the moment a couple of times. And you had Kirby Smart saying, I was going to ensure that we were set for this. But the, the, the foresight to see this coming, it was what, 20 yards into, Ohio State had, they were around the 30, 35, somewhere around there, right? Yeah. And up 11 and Smart knowing they may fake this. And if they get it, we're done. That saved everything. That allowed and the Stetson alignment Bennett, they had him in. He yes, saw it. Yes, fantastic play. And that's the one where that has nothing to do with Ryan Day or you know C.J. Stroud, who is amazing, or any other missed field goal. All of that is set up by that timeout. And Stetson Bennett, I mean, he, he looked like a former walk-on for parts of that game. He looked like the Alabama. SEC championship game version of himself. That interception that led to 21-7? to Yes. Terrible. Yes. I mean, there were moments where I'm thinking, okay, well, this yeah. is the guy that may not be that talented. and They want him benched again. And then uh, he's <laughs> two minutes, 43 seconds left. They need six points. And he's five for five on that drive and a touchdown yeah. to win it with ease. They're down 11. He has a 76-yard play on the first play of the drive. Clutch, clutch, clutch. Every single time. You can't bet against him. I mean, even no. the moment that Ohio State had to settle for that field goal to go up six with 243 left, I tweeted, game is over. Georgia will win this game. Ohio State had to score a touchdown to go up multiple scores to have a chance to win that game. You just knew that Georgia would go down and score a touchdown to win it, and that's what they did. Now, what I didn't know was C.J. Stroud was going to get loose for a 27-yard scramble, and they'd at least have a field goal kick to win it that would they be did. missed after that because Georgia scored too quick. Yeah, they did. On that last drive. But too but much time left. Man, what a for, – for nine years of semifinal games, Hutton, that's been oh, a I lot know. of terrible games, that one New Year's Eve almost made up for a lot of those. And it, it's I think it's great because I think we would see that in the 12-team playoff this year with the matchups. 
Oh yeah, you know, talent for talent, and the way it's spread out with the the transfer portal now, I, I cannot wait for that. Also, the uh, the line I saw the money line for Georgia at one point was plus three eighty five. I jumped on it. To your point, like I'm not betting against Stetson Bennett. You're not going to get much of a return there unless you bet really big on it. But yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go with it. No, I'm saying it was plus three eighty five in oh, game. Oh, d- down they're down the like no, twenty one yeah. or whatever. In that game, was. yeah, that was a good bet by yeah. you. I thought you meant going into this next game. They're plus no, three eighty five no, no, no. to start. Yeah, they're going to win. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins us. We'll preview the matchup between TCU and Georgia. We'll also get his thoughts on the matchups from the college football playoff and more on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Outkick 360 rolls on. Great to be joined by Bobby Carpenter, SiriusXM, college football analyst, Outkick contributor, and more. Bobby, we just got done. Uh, Chad and I have not had the chance to discuss the college football playoff together um, since he came back yesterday. What an epic weekend of ball. That, that was fun. I, we can get into the details of both games, but just surface level... It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, from a sheer entertainment perspective, I mean, that's about as good as you're going to possibly get. And I was hoping both the games would come down to that, to where, you know, five, six, seven minutes left in the game, you're still uncertain who would win. Both teams would have a pretty good opportunity to get it done, whether they get to make their conversions, whether they ultimately get stops, whether they convert those into touchdowns or field goals, whatever happens. And so both of those games, you know, ebbed and flowed Michigan and TCU probably a little more wildly. Ohio State and Georgia a little back and forth, but but very exciting. Both of them high-scoring contests, which I don't necessarily think are always great, but there was enough defense played in both, or especially in Ohio State-Georgia game. And then I think in both of the games, defensive plays made that, you know, it was entertaining from both sides. And I it was doing our XM pregame show and we were talking to Andy Staples about it. And I told him, I, I thought this was going to be the most entertaining semifinal day that we had had since the CFP began almost a decade ago. And uh, thankfully it turned out to be that because I'm not a huge fan of the New Year's Eve games. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on and they don't generally rate all that well, you know, but especially the Peach Bowl, they rated really well this year. There are great games to see, um, you know, a lot of representation around the country. It was, uh, it was a pretty awesome thing to watch. So, you know, both of them turned out, uh, turned out to be pretty good ones. Um, Obviously, not exciting for the the last you know twenty five seconds of the Peach Bowl, but outside of that, man, it was a pretty nice weekend. 
What about the whatever amount of seconds it was where Marvin Harrison Jr. got knocked out of the game and the uh, targeting was picked up, Bobby? I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on that hit and what you saw. It was certainly a bang-bang call one way or the other, but the fact that Ohio State's best player was knocked out of the game on that play has to factor in also. Yeah, it was tough when you look at it. Obviously, it had an impact on the game, you know, with Marvin Harrison Jr. being, being as good as he is. And, you know, in my opinion, he was the best receiver in college football this year. And I think he'll be the best receiver in college football next year. And, you know, the kid's a relentless worker. He's tough. Um, you know, I, I don't. if you don't probably call it on the field, here's the thing with targeting. In my, I would never define that as targeting. However, it's always called as targeting. And so that's where my issue has always been is the inconsistency of it and how it's ultimately litigated on the field. And so, well, I don't think there was, you know, and it's, I didn't think there was a malicious intent with it. Um, did the crown of the helmet hit? No, but the second part of that rule was any forcible contact to the head or neck area, which also then did happen. So if they wouldn't have called it, I would have been fine with it. The fact that they called it, then picked it up, and then if a guy wasn't got hit, didn't get hit in the head at all, and his head never really hit the ground violently, then he's in concussion protocol, and you lose him for the entirety of that game. I mean, I think that was supposed to be the counterbalance to that call is when you're losing guys on one side because we want to practice player safety, which I, I'm all in favor of, that it dramatically swings, you know, potentially the competitive balance in the game. And uh, it was very tough because I State, you know, when they had all of their receivers um, rolling, it was pretty good, and they were – you know, unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to get uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba back. Uh, to see all all three of those, him and uh, Mecca Buka all play, because they're pretty talented when they're together. But losing Marvin Harrison, I think, changed the way that, you know, Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp were able to call the game. They could be much more aggressive, and you didn't necessarily have to worry about some of the brackets and thing that, things that were running down the field at Marvin earlier in the game. Pretty cool story from Yahoo also, Noah Ruggles, who missed the kick for Ohio State. Whenever I see something like that, I immediately think, man, I feel awful for this guy because that's what everyone's going to remember at the end of the game. But I know his mom spoke out, and um, while he takes full responsibility for what happened, they are thanking Buckeye Nation for their support, that it was more positive that came out of it and support from Ohio State fans than negative um, we talked about this with what happened with DeMar Hamblin. I think there is some optimism that comes out of these things when you can see people unite behind something. My initial reaction would be, Ohio State fans are going to be all over them. But that wasn't the case here, Bobby, which is pretty cool. I mean, it was a 50-yard kick. So it's more than just a chip shot. And, and I always tell people this when guys miss, you know, feel like nobody wants to make that kick more than the guy kicking it. I mean, he's the one whose life is going to be uh, delineated at that point to either being the hero or someone who wants to crawl into a cave for the next 10 years. So it was good to see that. I mean, there were, were obviously people that were going to be out and very upset about it on Twitter as if they've spent the last, you know, 360 days working towards trying to win that game the same way that many of the players had. But it was it was a pretty good response. And it was a very measured response. Now, that's always positive to see. You know, because it is a game. It matters a lot. And the passion is what makes it great. That's why we love college football. But also understanding that, you know, I always say, after the Mar Hamlin thing, like it's different. I'm always thinking there's no funerals in football. And hopefully there's not one in this situation as well. But, you know, it's not, it's just a game. And as long as everybody's walking off the field, that's ultimately what you, you want to see happen. And uh, unfortunately, Noah Ruggles didn't make that kick. Um, 
anytime they call timeout, I always tell them that if you're the long snapper and you see guys do this in the NFL, coaches get mad. And that's why they've thrown in the, um, the delayed game penalty because I always tell the snapper, fire the ball. Let the, let the kicker kick one, man. I'm always better on my second golf shot when I can pull that ball out of my pocket and throw one down after I spray in the woods. The second guy, man, he, he's, he's, a, he's a master's champ. That first dude, he's kind of wavering around a little bit. So it was unfortunate to see. But, you know, you have a 50-yard field goal for a chance to go to the national championship and playing it, the defending national champ and a team like Georgia. You know, you want to win the game, but I don't think you can be ultra disappointed in the outcome, um, you know, especially with you know, how you kind of performed your last game out. I think Ohio State kind of changed the narrative a little bit. And C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, definitely changed the narrative on not necessarily what he was as a quarterback and as a passer, but really as a football player and someone who was willing to go to the ends of the earth to try to win a football game. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, played at Ohio State, played for the Dallas Cowboys. And Bobby, I'm curious, you, you brought up Hamlin there. The What was the worst injury on the field while you were playing that was the most difficult to then play the next snap after the emotions involved? Gosh, you know, it's tough. I, I don't think in a game I was ever around a guy getting backboarded, um, to my knowledge. You see some times where guys get their knees shredded, and it's tough. You know, a broken leg, you know, they're laying there, maybe they're sh- broken collarbone or something. You know, it's hard, that, but that's something like, that may be a, a season changer, could potentially be a career changer, but it's not a life changer. And I've never been on a field where you've watched somebody get administered CPR. And when that's going down, I mean, that, that's a life-saving exercise that you're, that you're uh, producing right there on the field. And it's, you know, I laughed. I was, I was a lifeguard for eight years growing up, man. My mom, you know, the pool we grew up at, my brothers, we all did. It was our summer job. I, I never... I probably, I think I got in the pool one time, pulled a kid out. Never once had to use all of the years training that we do every single year, all that stuff, working on the AEDs, the CPR, the life-saving stuff. And you see that out there and I'm like, I can't even begin to fathom watching that, watching a guy who you play with or play against. A lot of these guys all know each other. And then trying to go back and play again when I mean, he is, he's in cardiac arrest. I mean, he's dead on the football field. Your heart is not not beating. And so that that's, it's... <laughs> That's an emotional thing. You could see everybody out there crying. And football is not a game that you could go out there like baseball or basketball and, and just go through the motions. Like guys would go out there and get hurt. You're psychologically not into it. Your head's somewhere else. I mean, you get hit. It's other things could have happened. And you're just not going to see a good product because you have to be focused in or else you're going to suffer some bodily harm. And so anything that I saw paled in comparison to that. I've never – I've seen a guy get backboarded in a practice I was at and ultimately was paralyzed. Um, but so oftentimes, even in that moment, you see it out of precaution and you think everything's ultimately going to be okay because nine times out of 10, it's, it's simply due to making sure we're checking every single box. Um, but the fact that, you know, DeMar Hamler, Hamler, they're, they're, Hamler, they're waiting. And you could tell the NFL was waiting. And they, Troy Vincent can say whatever he likes. They were waiting and waiting and waiting to get good news to be able to restart the game good news that was never going to come. And so that's why they ultimately had to postpone it because you can't ask your teammates to go out there and play when the guy you are great friends with, a teammate of, someone who you spend countless hours with every week, you know, might he's fighting for his life and, and may not make it through the night. Bobby Carpenter with us on Outkick 360. So uh, 
Harbaugh has been linked. Jim Harbaugh has been linked to at least three NFL teams to this point, Carolina, Denver, and Indianapolis. But he tells the Queen City News, quote, although no one knows the future, I think I will be coaching Michigan next year. What do you make of this? And is this the year that he's headed back to the NFL? Well, you know, he's flirted every year and every chance he can get. And I think if he's ever offered a job, he will take it, despite how daunting the prospects might look for that team moving forward. I believe there's a penalty in his contract. And I'll have to go through. I was reading this today. I'm not sure what the amount exactly was. But if he pursues a coaching position in the NFL without contacting the Michigan administration, I mean, it's a seven-figure penalty. So if I guess if you're going to go after it, you better, you better get it. Um, I don't know what him and Tepper, whether it's a casual conversation, I don't know what pursuing a job actually entails. Uh, I could see him getting the Indy job. I mean, you have to remember this. Jim Harbaugh, he went to three straight NFC championships. He went to a Super Bowl, and now he's taken Michigan after a couple years of kind of wondering and has them in two CFPs and had them favored and probably should have won that game against TCU if they would have went out and executed. So he's been doing a good job. He is a good football coach. Um, you know, it might be a little bit of a unique guy, but he also is a guy that took the Indianapolis Colts, I believe in 94, 95, one of the mid nineties. Yep. I mean, he took them to the AFC championship. It was captain comeback. So there's ties there. And it wouldn't shock me if the Colts end up pursuing and then ultimately possibly hire him. So Bobby on December 15th, Bobby Petrino was hired at UNLV as offensive coordinator by Barry Odom. On January 4th, he is leaving UNLV to be the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M for Jimbo Fisher. Uh, that aside of him taking a job and then immediately taking a better job, which happens occasionally in this sport, how on earth is that going to work with Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino and those two personalities and those two resumes, which are pretty similar, quite frankly? going head-to-head when both are on the offensive side of the football? So you remember before even the UNLV job, he was kind of linked to A&M, and it was kind of floating around. You thought it might be the trial balloon, and then all of a sudden, okay, he gets another job, and no one goes to UNLV and burns down the stadium and says, we hate you, Bobby. And, you know, I think maybe A&M looked at that like, okay, well, he survived one hire. Maybe we can kind of bring him in. Here's the issue. Like, my brother was on the staff with – Petrino at uh, Louisville a second time around, you know, when they had Lamar Jackson, they were rolling and everything was great. He is a strong personality. And if he's going there, he's calling plays. Now, Jimbo Fisher might say, I'm going to acquiesce and give up the play calling duties. But if he doesn't, I guarantee you that man right there pictured, he is not going to take a knee and say, hey, you're the head coach. This is your deal. No, you brought me in to get this thing fixed. You brought me in to save your job. I mean, I would love to be a fly on the wall during some of those meetings. You know, some of those uh, get on the headset during games. If a call comes in and there's an attempt at overriding or whatever it might be, you know, because Bobby Petrino, he's a, you can say what you want about him. There's a reason why he got rehired at Louisville after everything else that had ultimately happened. He is a good offensive mind. He's a really good football coach. May not be the greatest human around, but they're paying for him to come in there to get that offense figured out so that we're not even talking about eight and four. You're talking about them competing for the CFP, especially after the investment they've made in that program and the coach and then the players. Bobby, quickly, two teams I want to ask you about, uh, non-college football playoff round, but New Year's six games, Penn State 
impressive in their win over Utah, and they got a lot of talent coming back. And Tennessee with Joe Milton uh, with a really good performance, and they handle Clemson in a game where they were a touchdown underdog going into it. What do you make of those two teams in that game and now those programs moving into 2023? Well, I think we saw the best of Joe Milton, which I think people realize is pretty darn good. Uh, It's never been the question with his ceiling. The problem is with him, you're walking into like a five-story atrium when you go in there and the ceiling's really high, but the floor, you know, there might be like a hole, like a little cratered out drop zone. The ceiling looks like the Sistine Chapel, Bobby. It's beautifully painted. It's a tapestry. And then the floor is like uh, some room below the basement. It's where they sit Milton in office space. It's the floor at the Days Inn in Panama City. (laughs) Yes, with a drain in the middle. And so that's the thing. We saw the goodness. We saw everything that he can be. All that potential wrapped up in there. And he was throwing darts. And, man, did he look good. And he's a pretty athlete. He can sling it, effortlessly spin the ball down the field. If he can do that consistently and you watch guys, sometimes there's a, an epiphany where they're able to kind of harness all that. You know what? It's I don't necessarily need to be at 100% of my powers every time. Why don't I just throttle it back to 90 so that on the days that I'm not just throwing darts, I'm not throwing it to the other team and use a little more discretion. So the future is very bright there in Knoxville, and they should be really, really excited. You know, it's just going to be up to Josh Heupel. Can you kind of rein that thing in and make sure you keep it between the lines? So that'll be a big piece of it. Um, And then Penn State, you know, their skill players look really good. I mean, Utah's defense has been pretty stingy all year. And they had guys running free. They look good. They've got a really good freshman quarterback in Drew Aller that's coming in from Cleveland who you saw some flashes of him this year. So, you know, if they're able to get that going, I mean, maybe James Franklin can challenge Ohio State and Michigan this year. But this was a huge year for him to get to 11 wins after I believe at one point this year he was uh, 11 and 11 in his previous 22. So this was a big year for Penn State moving forward. Great game for Tennessee. Um, you know, they were going against a, a true freshman quarterback in Cade Klubnick and watching the end of that half. I mean, it was it was cringeworthy as he took as he tries to scramble with no time left and no timeouts. And you're like, just just throw it away. But it was a great game. And honestly, like, I thought most of the bowl games this year, over half of them provided great entertainment value. So as people talk about getting rid of them, man, I, I loved them. The guys that were there and chose to play played with a lot of passion. And it was very fun to watch for the most part. Final 30 seconds. How entertaining will Monday night be between Georgia and TCU? <sighs> you know, I hope that TCU is able to kind of stir some things up. Their defensive line played a lot better against Michigan than I thought they would. Um, hopefully they can get some pressure on Stetson Bennett. Ohio State did as good a job as anyone had. He hadn't been sacked since, you know, before Halloween, for <laughs> heaven's sake. And uh, able to get a little bit of heat on him. And you saw that impact him a little bit. You know, this this could be the, the greatest story ever for Max Duggan if he's able to complete this thing because it will take a Herculean effort by him to be able to get it done against you know a tough Georgia front and some fast linebackers. So if he can get it done, great. I think they probably win this thing by 10. But I'd like to hope that there's some point in the third or fourth quarter where he has a chance to make a play to keep that thing close and can kind of extend it on a little bit. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. You can check him out. Uh, is it Channel 84? I ask you this each week. Sirius XM. It's 85 yeah. or 84. I can't remember on my preset. Um, yeah, they're great. XM 84. There we go. Perfect. Um, we'll be listening there. And I'm assuming you'll have live coverage 
from the uh, all surrounding the national championship game. It'll be awesome. Yeah, we'll have the show leading into the game. And then uh, we'll also be out there live at Media Day Saturday morning running around. So that's always fun. This is my first year doing that at the Peach Bowl, tracking all those guys down and getting a feel for the games and pretty great. Thank you, man. Always enjoy the conversation. My pleasure. All right. Happy New Year, yeah, guys. Happy New, happy New Year, Bobby. Bobby Carpenter. Another year with B-Carp on the show. Keeps getting better and better, like a fine wine That's right. Bobby Carpenter. <laughs> Always. Uh, also the same way. Another year for primary complaint. We air our top grievance of the week. That's next on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, 360 rolls on coming up in 10 minutes. Dr. Jay Montgomery will join us, cardiologist. Uh, to be specific, Chad, uh, cardiac electrophysiologist. Did I get that right? Yeah, I was pre-med for one semester at Tennessee Hutton and then went away from it for titles like that yeah. that scared me away. We'll discuss DeMar Hamlin, the recovery, and the cause of this or potential causes, plural, Again, that's coming up in 10 minutes. Right now, though, it is time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. My primary complaint this week, not just in the Georgia-Ohio State game with that targeting call or callback, but also in the Michigan-TCU game and the officiating at the highest level of college football. Embarrassing, quite frankly. I know some of these calls are subjective. Others are very objective. But I could say there was very lopsided in one side over the other in regards to holding or no holding calls called in the Ohio State-Georgia game. And how that is not a touchdown for Michigan in that game is beyond me when you have rules analysts for the network in the biggest game of college football to that point saying, yeah, there's no indisputable evidence that it's not a touchdown to this point. This is going to be six. And instead, it's not. I, I hate whenever in college you have awful officiating in the games that truly matter. That's my primary complaint. Look, I hate half measures. You're either in or you're out. It's full go or no go. And we're running into this now in a post-COVID world at almost every business establishment. I'm staying in a hotel in Columbia, Missouri on my drive back. And I'm paying full price for this hotel room. 
But because of short staff, the rooftop bar isn't open. Mm. There's an area downstairs that's not open. You can't sit at the bar to watch the game. You got to go sit in a booth because we're short staffed. We got to get over this. Close down the damn hotel. It's not open. Or give away a room for $25. One or the other. Severe discounts or you're closed. I'm going to do hand signals right now for those watching. Open, closed. Open, closed. You can't show me a menu behind you and say, see the right side of the menu? We don't have it because we're short-staffed right now. No, you're closed. Shut the door, lock it up, and tell me you're closed. I am tired of short-staffed as an excuse. You're open, or your clothes. When I left for this show for a week, Hutton didn't come in and say, we're doing half a show today because Chad Withrow's out. No, he got great co-host and he delivered on a full show. Why? Because we're open at Outkick 360. That is my primary complaint. Open for business. Well, gentlemen, my primary complaint is something I think many of us can relate to, but it's the idea of having to drive a friend or a loved one to the airport. Guys, there's this thing called Uber or Lyft. Usually ride share service. I get it if it's at a convenient time, but if you come to me the night before and like my roommate said, hey man, can you drive me to the airport tomorrow? I'm thinking, yeah, okay, it's not too far. What time do you need to go? When I heard 5.30, that's, that's a.m., that's another problem. We have these things called phones that have apps to where you can get a ride for a very cheap rate from where you are currently stationed at. So for that, that is my primary complaint. And on top of that, just real quickly, uh, whenever you ask for me to go pick somebody else up at the airport when there's bad weather conditions, I'm driving a Camry. I'm not going to be able to to battle against the snow or the ice or whatever. Why do you think I'm a solid option to go and pick up somebody else there? They're expecting you to drive a Camry. What's the SNL skit with uh, Will Ferrell? I drive a Dodge Stratus at the dinner table. Yeah, that's uh, where they're always yelling at each other. Yeah, at the and that ends table. the argument. The one thing I will say about asking for rides, the one possible exception is when you have kids. Yeah. You need someone to like drive your car with the kid seats Yeah, because you can't just get an Uber and then have child seats in there to take your kids to the airport. But I'd be- I doubt Davey's running into that problem. <laughs> Davey strikes me as a guy that doesn't have uh, friends with kids right now at this stage <laughs> in his life. A lot of bachelors. You're, it's very assuming of you. Bachelors with, uh, or with married, married young couples without kids is what I'm You're saying. You're saying Maddie didn't have kids? It's no knock. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, Maddie may have kids, but he's not raising them. <laughs> and what airport are you going to? Uh, he, uh, he certainly was dropping off at Southwest, that's Ma- for sure. Maddie strikes me more as a deadbeat dad. Dr. Jay else. Montgomery is next to now kick 360.